And so on the way up, it's really tough going because if you step in the wrong place, you're just sliding back down. But on the way down, oh, just so much fun. It's almost like skiing. Because seriously, the closest thing I've ever experienced to running on that terrain is running in snow, where you can just kind of jump and skid and slide. And when you go around a sharp corner, you will just whoosh a big sort of powder comes up. You're swinging off trees, you're jumping off ledges. And it's usually, you know, the top sort of 10, they're staying upright the whole time. But a lot of our, the sort of the rest of the field are sliding down on their bums for good portions of it because it's nice soft dirt and all that. And it's, yeah, just so much fun. Good everyone, that was Ben Duffus. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio, interesting conversations with interesting runners. Chorus Watches. Apparently, they've got a new model coming out that lasts 463 years in full GPS mode. That's that's a bit longer than their last one, but not by much, because... They just, they, that's what they do. They last and last. Apparently, this watch will give you daily affirmations. It will count your steps for you. Um, it'll align your chakra. It's got vert in there. No, it doesn't. But look, chorus watches are really good. They've got amazing battery life. Is the vertex like 60 hours in full GPS, mm. GPS or something like that? Do you remember your first ever GPS watch? It was like, like that glove that Thanos wore and it burned your hand and it had a battery life of one hour. Mm, and you had to run with your hand in the ear. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Chorus watches aren't like that. No. But if you go to chorus.co.nz, uh, you get 10% off with the code LOCAL. And Chorus watches have been a longtime sponsor of Dirt Church Radio and we love them. So chorus.co.nz. You know what else is local, Matt? No. Wild Things. So Wild Things is as local as it gets in New Zealand, isn't it? It is. And I was I was actually talking to uh, Wild Things impresario, Malcolm Law, yes. the other day, and talking about how, at the moment, um, community is really important. Yeah. And it seems like Wild Things is really important to a lot of people. Well, it fosters community, doesn't it? That's what it's all about. It does. It's also about things like, you know their amazing trail directory? Yes. You can... They're now figuring out a way of setting, of chasing FKTs on trails. Huh. Yeah. So it's for the grunty trails and right. they're, they're, they're working out in the background with this amazing computer technology or possibly, you know, I don't know, using, um, uh, no, I don't know where I'm going with that. But I mean, what my thing is, what's a, okay, so it's a grunt factor of 15 or more. What's one grunt? It's like a and, grunt. And do you get like... Do you get like a semi grunt or a demi grunt? Or well, a he- no, I think you have, to, grunt? you have to take the full grunt to be right. able to so, qualify. So, you, 15 of them. So, some of these trails, so the trails that are, have a grunt factor of 15 or more, they're going right. to have an FKT availability, uh-huh. if you call it that. Yeah. Um, but to be able to qualify, you know, to register an FKT, you need to be a paid up member of 
of uh, Wild Things, a VIP member, uh-huh. and and you need to sync your Strava account to it. Well, the Strava account you can do that yourself, but with the VIP membership, we're here to help, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah. So if you we use the help. code DCR twenty twenty, you can get fifteen months of Wild Things membership for the twelve price months. Of twelve. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because and math. If, and if anyone can explain to me uh, what. Uh, a unit maybe gareth morris could what one grunt is please do write yeah. to me yeah uh i'm at room 413 of the hilton in central auckland uh just address it to matt raymond and uh send it right in and you'll get a prize <laughs> that's some bubble yep wildthings.club forward slash register we've got a jingle for further faster we should probably just play that which one is it it's the further faster jingle. Uh-huh. Do you know it was Badger the Dog's 40th birthday last week? Oh, we should have had a happy birthday jingle. Yeah, yeah. Further Faster is New Zealand's foremost indie outdoors store. And in level three, Rocky, Badger and Dan are back in store filling orders and doing contactless pickups, as well as sending things out uh, across Hill and Dale with the good men and women of New Zealand Post. We love Further Faster. They have supported us for a long time and they're amazing independent outdoors retailer. Go to furtherfaster.co.nz and check them out. We go something like further, faster, they're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious. Go to further, faster now. Go further, faster, they're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious. Go to further, faster now. Ditchitch Radio. Episode 94. They're counting up, aren't they? Well, that's what they do, numbers. Absolutely, we'll start going backwards soon. Yeah. But we made it. We did, we did. It says in the show notes here, and we're back in the room together. Almost. Holy moly, but we're not. Almost. We nearly made it. Aren't we? Yeah, we nearly made it. But I'm I'm exercising uh, post um, level two etiquette. I woke up with a bit of a sore throat this morning, and so I'm not going to come over and hang out with Eugene, even though I desperately want to, so... Soon we will be doing this. We will, but face it was, to face. But, but we got to go for a run yesterday with Saywan in the forest. It was so good. Was it yesterday? Yeah. It was oh wow! It seems like it's been a long twenty-four hours. But um, yeah, that was so good. Yeah. Like first time in a couple of months. How long? Just over seven two, weeks. Well, it was just over two months since we did that, and it was March the seventh that we did Charlie and Charlie's to get Charlie and Charlie duties together at Riveram. March oh. the 7th, you know, that just, you know, remember those heady days when you could go to races and go to a <laughs> bar afterwards, go to the Hallertau afterwards and go to a prize giving, you know, and actually like hang out with people. Yeah. Oof, the good old days. Simpler days. Yeah, that's and we right. Were to- I mean, we were talking to Ben in terms of um, the terrible things in the world that have been happening and, and, and were happening and how sort of... When he mentioned the Australian bushfires, there was yeah. sort of everyone sort of was not nostalgic for it in a glib way, but like, oh yeah, that was that seemed, huh? You know, like yeah. when the world was on what fire, a time. Like you said, yeah. yeah, but the yeah the run was glorious, and I, I had the experience of running downhill. It was quite amazing. <laughs> yeah, you and, you and Saywan, we were, we were running downhill, and it's I mean, 
how long is that hill? It's about oh. two or three minutes. And yeah. you both were going, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Like, woohoo, running downhill. Because we've been running around lately. It's quite flat. So it was quite nice. It felt like I was at, at UTMB or something. <laughs> 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 running down oh, to Chamonix man. or something. But no, I was just in the forest running down a little downhill. But uh, it was fun. And it was so good to catch up with you and see you and see C1 and C1. And um, yeah, it was, it was great fun. Great fun. It was an amazing, mm. amazing run. Mm. So here's to much here's to much more of it. Yeah. And, uh, Getting back and on then the trails. And saw heaps of people out on the trails, you know, in Strava feeds and Instagram and so yeah. on. It looked like the weekend that everyone got back out there and connected, which was great to see. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And and Ben, Ben Duffus, you know, the current Australian mountain running champ, um, our guest this week, he talked about it too. This this weekend, just sort of getting out and and going to see people and seeing people he he was fond of, and just how how good that was. And mm. we've just spoken to him. What a conversation yeah. he had. What a what it felt. And we commented on it. It did feel like the last couple that we've done. They they've been amazing, fun, and really worthwhile. But almost kind of not straight. But this one felt quite effervescent and We've been on best behaviour, really, for well, a little Sarah while. Sarah Hillary, you've got to be. Yeah, really, that, that's true. That's true. We were both standing for that conversation. We were wearing suits and ties. But, <laughs> but right. uh, we've been on best behaviour, really. But this one, we, we kind of went off on, on some tangents, a little bit, fair yeah. to say. Got a little bit silly <laughs> sometimes. Absolutely. Um, it was good fun. And, yeah, so Ben was great to talk to. Uh, you know, our, mate, our mutual friend Lee from Aussie Grit made the introduction, and and so yeah, we were dead keen to catch up with him and have a chat to him um, about it. and and his surprising love of the Central North Island. Absolutely, Kaoru, yeah. which is yeah, I I have a, a a soft spot in my heart for that place for many reasons. Are, but, you, uh, are you heart connected yeah. to Kaoru? I have a heart connection for Kaoru, which go. is very strong. There you go. Speaking of heart connection, someone who I have a heart connection to is Sarah Hillary. And um, what an absolute delight to chat to her. Yeah, really, really awesome. Uh, Sean Collins, who did, did, did you get that email he sent when he said that he took the, yeah. his young, he tells the story, he was lending Sarah a pack and she said, well, come by work and drop it off and he took his three girls who were quite young at the time and he sort of had to wrestle his toddler's greedy mitts uh, away from a goldie <laughs> which is for those who don't know a very very expensive yeah, yeah. <laughs> painting <laughs> yeah. oh man so, yeah and i thought you know i thought a lot about what she said about getting you know the younger generation out into the wild so they fall in love with it too and that's you know she's so right isn't she and and it's so important and even more, it feels even more so. Everything feels a lot more at the moment, doesn't it? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Mm. But, I mean, yeah. even my 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 girl Lola, my my older girl, she started trail running, so she goes out with Rebecca, and just sort of you see the light bulb go off in her head, mm. and she just yeah, I'm desperate that she keep it up, but I don't sort of want to pressure her. But no. yeah, she's yeah. just she's just amazing. Yeah, and sort of. This this. Suddenly, she's sort of leggy and fearless. It's quite good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of, of fearless, the fearless Ruth Croft. You're running her plan, Matt. So I am. You know, you better tell us a bit about how it's how it is and how it's how it's going. Yeah. Well, I mean, so for those who don't know, um, we've partnered with Vert Run because uh, Ruth Croft has 
put out a 14-week training plan on uh, vert run, and it's training for an ultramarathon, specifically if you're stuck in a city or somewhere where there aren't massive hills. And I was really struggling with some motivation and struggling with some structure and struggling with just struggling generally, I think. And um, so have signed up for the plan, and it was week two this week, end of week two. It's The best thing about it is just having structure and accountability and having sort of put plans for myself together for quite some time, just not just having the security that someone's got this, but I'm not ready for a full coaching relationship almost. You know what I mean? I I don't have the bandwidth for be on the phone to someone or do anything like that, but just knowing that there's a plan that I can go and do. Yeah. Really amazing. And you know, the, the strides and the hill repeats are continuing. And, uh, as I poorly planned sort of went out, I think seven, seven o'clock on Saturday night, <laughs> just with how my day panned out and then was back out on the trails, the sort of five and 12 30. hours later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So by the end of our run, I was absolutely shattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the code people should use? It's Dirt Church 10, and that'll get you 10 US dollars off any uh, off uh, Ruth's plan. So, cool. yeah, yeah, give it a shot. And you two can have quads that scream at you like Matt. Um, apart from That's that, right. how you been doing? Not quads that scream at you like me, because that would be very specific. No, they do, they do. But you- That's the, it's in the plan. So my the, plan, the, so people's quads scream at them like Matt Raymond from Dirt Church Radio. It's part of the plan. That'd be weird. Yeah, it's part of it. Comes with the Warren. Discount. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing, mate? <laughs> Rigby it hurts. Rigby. Yeah, I said that in a Zoom meeting today because um, I was home, and just as everyone was signing off, the dog barked, and I went, "Shut up." <laughs> I was running the Zoom meeting. I was like, not you guys. Not you guys. <sighs> but how have, you, how have you been? Zoom meetings? It oh. sounds exciting. Yeah. No, I, I had – how many Zoom meetings did I have today? Three. It was awesome. Um, it's been – look, it's been a week of getting back to some normalcy um, and that summers and in inverted commas, you know, like it was amazing to catch up with you and say one. And I enjoyed – you know, everyone's talked about, and Sarah Hillary talked about, like wanting to keep some habits going post lockdown that they they started doing in lockdown. And so for me, that meant actually running out to meet you to go for a run, mm. because I haven't been driving anywhere to go for a run. I've been running everywhere to get to a run bed, a trailhead, or whatever. So yeah, I ran out to meet you at the gate. It was like an extra, I think it was an extra four k on the start of the run, but it felt really fun and a bit adventurous. Um, apart from that, I learned two things this week. And number one is The Runner by Marcus Torgabay is one of the best running books I've ever read. Like just that's, you can have that. That's for nothing. That's just, if you ever get a chance to read The Runner, uh, it's exceptional. Is it, and a, is, I, it a, is it a fiction, nonfiction? No, it's a, it's a, it's a book. It's a Swedish, it's by a Swedish runner, uh, um, Marcus Torgabay, and he, I'm probably butchering his last name, I apologize, and it's about he uh, goes to live in a yurt in the woods for four years and runs. And it's beautifully written, and it's just, it's just, it's exquisite. So, yeah, that was right, right book, right time. And the second thing I learned this week is um, Malcolm Law 
emailed me because you might have heard in the ads for Wild Things I was questioning what a unit of grunt is. Yes, you know, the, yes, the FKT yes. thing. So, yeah, so the grunt is equivalent to five minutes of heavy breathing, a tablespoon of sweat, and at least one profanity. There you go. I could have multiple uses, I guess, but I'll just leave it there. How have you been? Yeah, well, lots of ways. Not much has changed. I still work from home um, at the moment under level two, but it was good to see my other boy and daughter-in-law at the weekend. We went visiting, you know, got out of the house. Um, Only four weeks to go until little mini Mark comes along, which will be exciting. Um, And, you know, just catching up with people. It's funny how being housebound has made me a bit more of a hermit. A little bit more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, running's been good. Been getting back into, back into building a base, which I think is kind of the running I like the most. Just absolutely. Yeah. Getting into the grind and just building a base. I, I love doing that. So yeah, good times. Good times. <laughs> Can we just go back to the point in a month you're going to be a grandfather? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's exciting. We're going to have to stop Dirt Church Radio because that is too confronting for me about my age that I'm <laughs> hanging out with a guy. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry just to make, do, Just making sorry something about you, you into something about me. Sorry to do that to you. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward to it. This should be fun. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So, look, we haven't done this in a while. Uh, we made a conscious choice when everything, you know, kicked off with lockdown to to stop talking about it. But we'd really like to give a special shout out to our Patreon patrons. Um, simply, I mean, thanks so much for your support. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I just can't say anything more about it, you know, like it's just quite fantastic. And um, it's been really helpful, you know, supporting us and supporting what we do. So if you if you like what you hear and you want to support us, um, we're at Dirt Church Radio. Uh, no, we're not. We're at, every week we're at, I do this. We're at patreon.com slash Dirt Church Radio. Yeah. So thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. And, yeah, it means a lot. And it's enabled us to plan a few things. Watch this space. So thank you. Right. Okay. I won't argue that emerging from lockdown has been anything other than great. It has. It really, really has. All the connections we put on hold that are coming back now, all the stifled Zoom conversations that we won't miss that have gone, you know, all that stuff. And, and mostly it means that we've won some good battles against this bloody virus lost can't it but i i really hope that we cling on to some of the things about lockdown and i know i know it's a cliche but i think it's true that there seemed to be a lot of kindness around during lockdown and can we please 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 hang on to that there were always going to be mongrels always you know mongrels like the ones who spouted racist crap at a good good friend of ours when he was out with his family at the weekend let's stand up to those people let's tell them that nah seriously no that is not okay but also we need to wrap ourselves around our friends and stand beside them and let them know that they're our friends and let them know that they're surrounded by kindness and we're there for them. And let the overwhelming thing to emerge from lockdown, as well as the getting rid of this virus, be the kindness and compassion continuing to flourish. Yeah, that was put very eloquently and probably less profanely than I would have uh, put it. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So, some people, some people, just, some people. But, yeah, it it makes me, and I'm not a, I'm not an especially violent person, but I, I would have liked to have seen that dude yeah. 
who spouted some racist trash like fall off his bike at that point or get a puncture or something because yeah man yes. that would have been a sight to behold anyway right <sighs> what else happens oh, better yeah we've got a race we've, we've got, got, a, to we've got something to talk about <laughs> go eugene 100 mile treadmill world record um you know he's down here in rotorua in february uh you know that was 2020 as well believe it and so he's obviously been in, in in sort of COVID world as well, but he got on his treadmill and he was using the Nordic Track X22i, if that means anything to anyone. Um, and he ran uh, 12.09.15, which is an average pace of 7.17 per mile and beat the previous record, 12.32, sorry, 12 hours 32, by Fast Dave, Dave Proctor. Fast Dave Proctor. Yeah. TikTok yeah, Dave. That's right. Canadian Dave, who's who's running virtually back across Tennessee as we speak. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So he drank ten bottles of this um fuel fuel. S fuels. Yeah. And yeah. and potato chips. That's all you need, people. Which is that's my daily intake, really. I'll have yeah. <laughs> I'll have ten bottles of two hundred calorie endurance drinks and potato chips yeah. every day. It's really helping me. No, I mean he's an amazing athlete. He, he's the I remember, you know, uh, you're talking to him and then he he took a tumble or something. Yeah. And jogged, you know, he what did he say? Jogged it in with his yeah. wife and it still finished the 100K in like nine hours. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like yeah. It just jogged yeah. it in. What but, an athlete. What an athlete. I mean, this is, this is the world we're living in at the moment, isn't it? This is kind of people are coming up with new stuff to do, new creative stuff to do. And I, I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. Oh. Yeah. So in other news, we got an email from the amazing Tanya Bottomley uh, and we were too, man, we've been slow on the uptake. Um, to everyone who's emailing us, we really apologize. We're up our game. Um, but you've probably seen pictures on social media Um Tanya, as you remember from a conversation with her, episode 71, she's an advocate for Shine, which is self, self, safer homes in New Zealand every day. And they had a cool fundraiser going where that they have to, people basically dress up and uh, went for a trail run. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Shine is a great organization helping people cope with domestic violence. And Tanya noted that she'd enjoyed a safe and loving bubble, but she knows it's not the same for lots of women and and they need help from organizations like Shine right now. So she roped in Katie Wright and they glammed up. They even had, they got makeup on and everything, um, but kept their trail shoes on and and headed out in some, into the trails and the photos are amazing. Have a look on the on their social media pages and, and get in behind the cause and we'll include the link in our show notes. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Right. It's a very special email, isn't it, this one? It is a very special email, and we've got another very special. We've kind of got a double stuff you uh, – not stuff you should know. We've got a, a, a double greatest run ever, and this one has the distinction of being our youngest greatest run ever. This is from George Fisher, and we got this email, and I was just absolutely blown away by it, and it's George's mum who wrote in. says, George is seven years old, and this is the story of his favorite run ever as told to his mum. 
My favourite run ever was the two, 2019 Tanifa. I ran the 7km race. It was awesome. I like trail running, especially when I go around a corner and find some bumps to run over. There were a lot of bumps in the Tanifa, so I had lots of fun. <laughs> I love that race. I really do. Uh, I went to the Tanifa with my whole family and my pop. My dad was supposed to do the marathon, but he got injured, so he did the 87K mountain bike instead. Sounds like an injured ultra runner. My mum ran the 7K with me, but not with me because she decided she wanted to race, but she did come back to finish with me. My brother, baby sister, and my pop were at the finish line to cheer me on. At the start line, I felt a bit nervous because I had never ran on the course before. I knew I could run seven kilometers, but I wanted to go fast. It was a hot day. I started running and I felt good. I got a stitch, but I kept running. I was catching some people, but there was some were still too fast to catch. After the aid station, my stitch had gone away and there were two kids behind me. I was starting to get tired, but I saw the cliff near the camp where the finish line is. I said to the kids, we must be close. One of the kids said he could hear the finish line announcer, but it was still about another kilometer to go. I this is Matt talking here. I vividly remember that every time I've done that race. It's a, it's a real false finish. <laughs> a bit later, I saw my mum standing near some trees waiting for me. Then me and my mum ran along the bridge, around some trees, and into the finish. My pop and brother and sister cheered for me. I was happy because I'd re tried really hard and beat the other kids behind me. The Tanifa was also my favourite run ever because I raced it and there were activities at the finish line. I got to go kayaking, fired paintballs at targets and went on an obstacle course. There was so much fun. I was terrible at paintball and kayaking was my favourite. I even got two goes and a bit later my mum and dad got me a kayak of my own. Score. This year we're going to do the Tanifa again. I'm going to race the 14km mountain bike. This year my pop is going to ride as well. I want to beat him. <laughs> from George. It says, my mum listens to your podcast while she makes dinner. Hopefully you'll read it out and I will hear it one night when my mum is making dinner from George. Well, George, look, man, I love the Tanifa. Um, I've done it a bunch of times and... Um, keep running over those bumps. Keep running over those bumps. That's the, that's my favourite yeah, part about trail yeah, running as well. Absolutely. Um, <sighs> so continuing yeah. on. So if you do want to send us in your greatest friend ever, like George or like the one we've got coming up, just send it into us, Radio at gmail.com. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a race like George's one or a mountain summit where there's lots of bumps, but it may just be a run around the block, something that's sung to you for some reason. Send it into us. So this week we've got Rowan Cassidy. So Rowan writes and says, Kia ora, Matt, Eugene and Rigby. My training was going really well towards my first ultra for 2020, the Old Ghost Road. Not my longest race, but my first 50 miler. To add to the complications of even running an ultra, it was my first race across the ditch flying in from Brisbane. Flying across for the race solo was a task in itself. Leaving the wife and kids at home for the weekend wasn't something I was not used to as we travel everywhere together. I finally got into Westport Got checked in and headed over for gear check in the race brief. I sat down at race brief and got talking to Bernard Robinson, one of the originals of the old ghost, which was awesome to get the lowdown on the course. Phil, the race director, delivered the best race brief I'd ever heard, and I already wanted to come back next year after hearing that hilarious but informative speech. The next morning came around quick, jumping on the shuttle bus at 4am, we got to the race start before long, we were off at 4.30 pace, ripping down to the old ghost trailer head. Cruising along a, a few k's in, I said, let me know when you want to pass. And the response was, all good, we're traveling on well. And before long, we were chatting away. What's your name, I asked. Doug, nice to meet you. My name's Rowan. And then we ran along together to the first aid station, 17 kilometers in. Coming into the first aid station and Kerry Suter is there and I give him a high five and fill up my water and off I go. This leg was 25 kilometers and I found some rough patches where a few people were running past and my legs just didn't seem to have the pace. But I pushed on and stuck with the group for as long as I could. We start to climb about 35 kilometers in and I catch up with 
Jim. Catch up to Jim, one of the race directors, which was awesome to share the trails with one of the guys that helps put the race together. As we got into the boneyard, Jim drops me and I'm having a bit of trouble through the section as my abdominal muscles are taking a lot of the pressure from the hard surface. I get through there and into the second aid station, 42 kilometers, yes, halfway. I load up enough spring energy to get to the finish. The next section is basically 12 kilometers and over a 1200 meter 1200 meters vert of vert we start to climb i was feeling better to get some good nutrition in and started to catch people once we clear the tree line words cannot explain the view you see from this trail as i come into ghost lake i spot jim on the other side so that motivates me to push on to the next aid station 55 kilometers in i fill up my water and have a cup of coke and head out the next 12 kilometer section was up for about two was, went up for about two kilometers and levels out along a spectacular ridge line with views that go on forever. As I hit the 60 kilometer mark, it starts to descend to the finish. As I'm running down about seven minute pace, which was doing my head in because people were passing me and I just didn't think I could go any faster. Then all of a sudden, Doug runs past and he yells out, jump on the train. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're running sub 12, we're running sub 10 hours. In my head, I'm thinking, no way. But I quickly tell myself, come on, legs, let's do this. So I jump on and dial into six minute pace with Doug. At this stage, talking was tough, so breathing and nutrition was the key for me to hang on. We roll into the last aid station at 67 kilometers, and I quickly fill up. I have another Coke, turn around, and Doug is gone. So I head out thinking there's no way I'll catch him. And it's two kilometers down the trail, I see him walking. I said, what's happening? And he says, my quads are destroyed, and tells me to go, and he'll catch up. That's such running, isn't it? (laughs) Like moments of triumph and disaster. Right, so I head up running. I head out running as hard as I can without blowing up. blowing up and I catch up to Femke who dropped me earlier and asked can I tag on and roll down to the finish with you and you pace it which I got yeah no worries so tag on at this stage all of our watches are out and the end seems a lot further than we think I see a 5k sign and yell out only a park run to go so our spirits lift and we push on and at this stage I'm feeling good so I said can I pass you and push on as hard as I can to the finish line finishing in 10 hours and 20 minutes so excited to finish and thankful for his amazing race i see doug come in five minutes later then we catch up and grab a burger and a beer chatting all about the day we just had the bus turns up and we head back into town we part ways and i head off to get cleaned up and head up for dinner as i'm walking down the street a car load of people pull up and i notice my old ghost hoodie and i notice (laughs) and i notice their funny walk the most have after an ultra and they invite me to join them for tea so shout out to jason emma cameron and laura and we shared our stories for the day the next morning, I catch up with Doug and Bernard for coffee and chat more. Ultra talk before the prize giving. Prize giving was fantastic, especially seeing Ruth Croft take the win. After the prize giving, Doug needed a lift back to Christchurch, so we headed off and listened to Dirt Church Radio for four hours. Oh, you poor <laughs> bastards. The whole weekend was. <laughs> The whole weekend I was blown away by the Kiwi hospitality, which made my experience of the race weekend to be my greatest run ever. Rowan. Amazing. Oh, what an amazing run, and it just got ruined at the end there, right? Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, listen to us. Uh, Dork Church Yeah, radio. that's right. I man, it's it's more about the people that he met along the way, isn't it? Than than the run itself. That's what makes that a fantastic run. I think they always have those little moments. Yeah, don't you? like come on, let's go. We're doing this in sub four yeah. hours, and then it's like, yeah. <laughs> leave me to yeah, die. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to lie here. Don't worry about me. Yeah, send a ham to that Rebecca. Um, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Right. right. Also from Brisbane yes. is Ben Duffus, and he is our guest 
on Dirt Church Radio this week. He was the second runner at the Tarawera 50k in three hours, 46 minutes and 44 seconds. He's the current Australian mountain running champ. Um, he's got a string of other wins, races I don't really recognize. The first, uh, the Guzzler 50k in 2019, UTA 2000, uh, 22k 2019, uh, Blackall 50k in 2018. He, he he won the 2018 Mountain Running Champs. He's represented Australia twice as a junior. He's a coach. Uh, he's an academic. And it was a wonderful conversation. So, yeah, without any further delay, here's our talk with Ben Duffus. Radio. All right. Kia ora, everyone. We're here with uh, Ben Duffus from Brisbane. Ben, kia ora. How are you? Good, thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks, man, and thanks for thanks for thanks for coming on. We sort of um, got connected by uh, Lee from Aussie Grit, and um, yeah, super stoked to super stoked to have you on the show. Great to talk to sort of more elite Australian runners. I mean, I guess the first question is is how are you going, and with the the sort of current situation <laughs> that's, that's happening around the world. Yeah, I feel like I've been pretty lucky as someone who was working from home before this all struck and someone whose hobby of going out on the trails and that uh, didn't get completely shut down that in Australia we've been the whole time being able to go at least you know several kilometers from home and I live right near the trails so I haven't had my life overhauled too much in that sense so it's been pretty good but I must admit it's been pretty nice having restrictions now starting to relax at least just that little bit that it's amazing how much you really appreciate some of those those little things like just the uh the weekend just gone was the first time okay restrictions had lifted and you could now easily go could now as long as you're social distancing go catch up with just a couple of friends face to face rather than online and something that like normally would have just seemed like such a mundane experience, right? Just going over to a couple of friends' house to hang out suddenly had this whole new sort of vibe to it because you'd been denied that for a while and you really sort of just appreciated being able to share each other's company that bit much more. It's amazing. Hey, I shook someone's hand the other day for the first time in seven weeks and something that's so, you know, it's so natural to do. It was a, we sort of, did it and then went whoa <laughs> you know like yeah I mean oh that's goodness. definitely sort of a funny one right that when you do see people in this situation where yeah normally would go for the handshake and then you'll kind of do the awkward oh no do we do a elbow bump do we do the foot tap and you sort of this little awkward dance that everyone does yeah <laughs> yeah I'm just thinking about yeah I had a colleague who who was a very early universal adapter to the foot tap and uh took a bit of adjusting i'd often go in for like that very same scenario it looked like we were doing some sort of weird masonic handshake or folk dance <laughs> i mean it makes a lot of sense and it'll be interesting to see if as a society it's something we adopt more and it becomes less of a yeah weird dance and just a new normal we'll see uh, and I mean, not to get, you know, totally digressive, but if you think about the the reasons that we do anything, hey, I mean, it, 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 it all comes from somewhere. So, yeah, maybe like a couple of hundred years from now when we've we've let the handshake go completely and we're just a nation of or a society of foot tappers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a societal norm. It makes, when you think about it objectively, no more sense really to shake a hand versus, yeah, tap the foot or elbow or something. It's just we think it's a little weird because we're not used to it. 
It does certainly bring an interesting, um, another dimension to a, a foot race. Yeah, mm. a sly, a sly little foot tap there, here and there, could be used to strategic advantage. And you can say, I, was, tap. I was just being friendly. <laughs> yeah. So, like, to, I guess we'd better get around to talking about um, trail running or, or running in general. But, I mean, what was your journey to running? Um, I understand that you sort of came into it through teenage cross country. Yeah, so I, well, I, my first sort of main sport actually when I was in primary school was that I was a swimmer. So that was where I sort of built up that original sort of endurance base and just playing every sport possible basically all through childhood. And it was only then when I was 14, 15 that I wanted to sort of get fit for my other sports and like cricket and rugby and that and my dad happened to be going he would just go out for easy runs around the block every you know a few times every week just to keep fit generally he definitely considered himself a runner but I was like hey dad can I join you and let's and we just sort of motivate each other okay let's go every day and things things just sort of kind of snowballed from there I was also very lucky that the year I sort of started running every day my school brought in a new uh, cross country athletics coach Dave Dave Smith, who was a he was a two time Olympian race walker, and he he was very instrumental in encouraging me and really getting me into the sport. So and yeah, certainly learn a lot from him. The, the intervention of people like that um, makes such a huge difference to a young person's life, can't it? Oh, exactly. That the I mean credit to Dave as sort of as a as a coach that he and now someone who is a coach myself I still look to him as a real role model in his ability to really motivate people and just the amount of self-belief that sort of instilled which as a 14 15 year old I mean let's be honest what adolescent isn't a little bit uh insecure like to have someone have that sort of influence on your life at that time was yeah, a really big factor in becoming who I am today, I think. Yeah, so important. And so you you grew up in Brisbane. So were you were you running on the trails early on or or was it uh road running or track running? What was what was it that introduced you? What style of running or what you know, what terrain were you most in love with when you were that age? Uh so when I started it was a mix of everything that we were most so I happened to live in what was I now sort of realized a relatively hilly suburb by Australian suburb sort of standards and had Mount Cutha and its trails right right on my doorstep. And I say Mount Cutha, you hear Mount, think big mountains, but it's only about 230-something metres high, so it's not huge, but it's pr- pretty good to sort of where you're starting out. So you would still be running up that once a week when you were beginning. And so... Yeah, at first it was a mix of everything that you're doing, your morning runs around the suburbs. Uh, once started doing, getting a bit more serious, was going down to the track with the squad a couple of times a week. But cross country and the sort of hillier or rougher courses was sort of always what I enjoyed the most. And it was very early, uh, early obvious, obvious early on that the the longer the race, the more it suited me the hillier it was, the more it sort of suited me that a really, you know, just running around the track wasn't so much my strength, though I did enjoy it. Right. And you, I mean, you got some 
great success. He went to the World Mountain Running Champs as a junior for Australia twice. Yeah, I mean that was that that, that was kind of funny. The first the first time that I made that team, it was quite a last minute decision. I I was coming back from an injury. I can't remember what it was exactly, but I sort of I'd had in my mind that maybe I'd give mountain running a go go that go that year and I only sort of realized I think a week before the championships that oh that's uh those those are coming up now it's sort of I'd lost <laughs> track of it because I'd been focusing to come back from the injury unfortunately it was held in Canberra that year and I have an aunt and uncle who lived down there so I was just able to call them up and be like hey can I stay with you for a couple of days and quickly book some tickets and fly down for that and yeah it went, went well made the team and that was a fantastic experience, those first world champs. What's the, I mean, we think of mountain running as such a sort of either, well, I guess it's quintessentially European or Northern American sport. What's the Australian mountain running scene like? Uh, compared to much smaller than the um, sort of European uh, side of things, that that was something else in for a real shock, I think, when I got to those first uh, world champs that you know I'd done the Australian mountain running champs which were on Mount Tennant and it was mostly running up sort of a fire road um, and then got to those world champs and suddenly you were on a big sort of I mean I hate to say real mountain but it was a real mountain <laughs> at this point that you suddenly you, this is the first time you'd ever run a thousand vertical meters up sort of thing and yeah, new PV for altitude you were running at and all those sorts of things. So that was, uh, yeah, a bit of a bit of a shock. Oh, and I wasn't used at all to the concept of, the, you know, if it got steep enough, you needed to power hike. That was a completely new thing to me. I was very, very raw. That was something some of the older blokes in the team were explaining to sort of me sort of the day before, well, in the days before when we were checking out the course. They're like, you do realise, like, power hiking it's a thing. It's okay to quote unquote walk on some of these bits. And you're like, what? Mind blown. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the race walking and, and in a completely, you know, mm. completely serious manner because, you know, race walking gets a, a, a sort of raw deal, but it looks like an incredibly grueling and very disciplined sport. Never tempted you having a, a coach who was a race walker. He didn't try and kind of, Turn your turn your head. So when I so yeah, particularly for when I had uh, yeah some injuries, it was something I did give a go because it is lower impact than because you don't have the flight phase. So it was something he got me to give a go a few times. And so what he must have been he's been coaching for I don't know 20, 30 years, and apparently I am still to this day the worst race walker he has <laughs> ever seen so no it is i mean yeah uh, i he lives not far from here so i bump into him occasionally and yeah he says that to this day i'm still the absolute worst technique he's ever seen <laughs> wow i mean i guess we can't be good at everything um i i look i mean i remember watching was it the sydney olympics just the drama people getting disqualified mm. when they're in you know the winner in the stadium getting disqualified or whatever. Oh, yeah, and it is it is a tough sport. Like, I know it gets a bad – I know people make fun of it, but I feel like they definitely haven't tried it because 
trying to exert yourself as hard as possible while still having to control the technique so finely that you can get it's an endurance sport where you can get disqualified for trying too hard basically for getting too fatigued and yeah trying to hold that all together is incredible and those the athletes uh yeah they're incredible athletes they're very fit in fact so dave's son dane bird smith who's he won bronze at rio in the 20k race walk and mm. gold at the commonwealth games he was at, he was at school with me so he was one of my training partners uh back then and so yeah like it was definitely good good uh friendly competition there that also was a big influence but and- uh yeah he was incredibly fit that i though he was a race walker and uh doing walking training he was still dropping gosh in high school a sub 50 400 meters and i couldn't keep up with him (laughs) on the short short distances that yeah it was they're fantastic athletes yeah the um robert i'm going to mispronounce his name in fact i won't even attempt the polish athlete who won the 50k at sydney and i think he may have even won it in athens um and the 20k in sydney as well uh no, I'm not even going to attempt his name, but a Polish athlete, amazing athlete. And then at the press conference afterwards, sat there and took questions in about five different languages and answered them in the, you know, in the, in the back to the reporter who was asking the question. Amazing guy. And amazing. just to have that, you know, the, the, the physical uh, effort of, of maintaining that pace for so long and, is, is, and, and keeping the technique up is just extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. We had a woman once, I, I um, race directed a little half marathon here and she turned up and we've got sort of a strict no walkers policy. She turned up and she's like, oh, I'm a, I'm, I'm a competitive race walker. And we were like, okay, you can, or oh, okay, all right. You know, because everyone's a competitive race walker when they turn up wanting to walk. You say, no, you, you can't walk. And she did our 21 and I think it was two and a half hours. And it's a tough race, you know, like it's a, two and a half hours yeah. on that course. Yeah. Two wow. and a half hours. She came sort of striding across and I was like, okay, <laughs> so, you, you know, you, you proved me wrong. That was amazing. I remember being completely blown away. That was a few years ago now, but yeah, race walkers. Yeah. I mean, it's impressively quick when you see, yeah, sub four minute Ks walking. Yeah. It's incredible. And I, and I guess one more thing with it, the, how you get dis- like when you said people get fatigued and start going into flight phase when in running it's the other way you get fatigued yeah and you find that your your cadence is dropping and you you get the yeah i mean you probably don't but everyone gets the race photo and they've got both feet on the floor and they- <laughs> yeah it's just the worst man oh so how did i mean how was it adapting to that sort of strategy of of you know you you can't run everything in a you know, in a sky running race or a mountain running race, did you take to it quickly or was it a real period of adjustment? Uh, so, the, I mean, that first that first race uh, with those world champs that did not go that did not go so well. I think I did try to run it all. I was also running on a stress fracture at the time, so that that probably didn't help either. But by by the following year, it was something that I purposely uh, worked on a little bit. And since since then, I've sort of kept working on. It. I feel like that is now actually my my strength. That have a few runner friends who sort of make fun of me that I am just now a glorified walker. That <laughs> I prefer it the steeper it is, and the more I can hike, the the better. 
it's such a skill though, isn't it? Being able to hike at pace and, and knowing when to as well. Yeah, exactly. That it's, yeah, as you say, it's an, it's a different skill. And so it is something that people coming from sort of backgrounds of road running and that do need to really put a lot of time into developing because it, it works different muscles. It's biomechanically differently. And it's also just, uh, you know, learning, as you say, when, when to walk, when to not, how to also just get used to those transitions that you don't just get tempted to, Oh, I'm walking. I'm just going to walk the rest of it. That if it flattens out a little bit, switching and committing when to run, when to walk. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have a set? Uh, I remember listening to Trail Runner Nation years ago, and this is going back sort of, you know, they were the first trail running podcast by miles. Um, and, and he was, uh, Don Freeman was talking about sort of, he calls it the 50-50 method. So if you're going to power hike something, you do 50 steps, but you count every footfall and then you run, you do 50 steps, but you count every second so you kind of you end up running as twice as long as you're walking, but it's still a consistent sort of effort. Uh, it depends. That if you, I mean, that that sounds more like when it's if it is just one really long continuous climb of a relatively even gradient that you are committing that you're okay. I know I can't um, run the whole way, but it is somewhat runnable. Then you would commit to a given run walk strategy somewhat like if you were doing say a 24-hour track race you might have a specific run walk strategy of run x laps then walk x lap walk y laps etc for a lot of races though where it's a varying gradient throughout the hill i would prefer to just let the gradient dictate whether i'm walking or so let the terrain decide whether I'm going to be walking or running it. And it really comes down to looking, scanning the train ahead, looking, go, okay, I'm going to start running at that tree and then I'm going to switch walking at that rock and then et cetera. Mm. So you're just letting the terrain decide rather than committing to a strategy because what if mm. with, with a set strategy of run X steps, then walk Y steps, what if you're walking on a flatter bit and then running a steeper bit like it doesn't always line up yeah you, could, you no, exactly. i mean that's a very terrain. good point yeah you gotta let the terrain dictate don't you know I, I know that, and like you were saying being committed to getting back to running i know the further i got into tarawera and the tighter i got the harder it was to start running again when i was walking and i was in you know walking uphill fair enough but then it was so easy just to keep walking when you should have been running yeah you just get tireder and and uh, you know fatigue system, oh, a- isn't it? absolutely like it happens to everyone and that's where it becomes important to really conscious at least i find it really helps to consciously pick out a landmark ahead and tell yourself in advance i am going to run when i reach that landmark because there's a point in a race where if you're going oh i'll start running once i feel good well you're not going to feel good it's yeah. going to feel horrible because yeah. you, you've run 80k yeah like, yeah no one's feeling good. That's true. Look, you, you. I've seen you write that, or I've seen it written of you, that you initially struggled to translate success into longer races. I wonder if you could talk us through that, what you, what you mean by that, and also, you know, what changed, how, how you did succeed. Uh, so my first year of running, so it was partly because I made a very rapid transition into ultra. So as you mentioned, I ran the the world mountain running champs twice as a junior 
So I would have, when I was, uh, what, 19 in October 20, what, what are we now? Oh, whatever year, that, that year. And then I ran my first ultra the following April. So mm-hmm. we went from 8K races to ultras in a matter of months. Wow. So it was a real jump. And so, and so as you can imagine, that came with a lot of mistakes being made. And I, I really didn't know what I was doing. That I was suddenly just throwing myself, yeah, going from 10K races to now 100K races. And, yeah, there was some spectacular DNFs early on. Uh, and so it was really about trying to learn, learn the ropes of ultras, getting the pacing, right. Getting the nutrition dialed in, uh, keeping the ego in check and, uh, yeah, pacing always being a huge one and just also training how to actually train for it, putting in the the miles and building up the strength. What, what made you take that jump? Why did you go for those longer races so soon? So I remember how I said to that first world champs, how that had quite a big influence on me. So that was, uh, those was, that was in Slovenia. And I remember getting to the top of that mountain, as I said, on a stress practice, I could hardly walk afterwards, but <laughs> I was looking out at the mountains there and just the thing like doing this once isn't enough. Like I want to just keep going and I want to go over that hill and then that hill and then that hill. And that was really sort of as much a sense of exploration and that it was a chance to, to see more. And it was, this was back, you know, 2010 and that. So back, there wasn't nearly as much attention given to ultra running there, but you were, I was starting to read, you know, things like Dean Karnaz's books and stuff like that. And you're hearing about this, this different world. And it's like, wow, this sounds really interesting. And I was sort of, I saw myself as a, at a bit of a crossroads coming out of being a junior that it was, do I want to really go down the I knew I was going to be, if I was going to focus on the, I guess, quote unquote, traditional sort of distances, I was probably going to be a marathon runner because I knew I didn't have the the speed for the shorter stuff. So I was like, do I want to really commit to, you know, spending the next 10, 15 years trying to gradually shave down a marathon time and that, or do I want to go explore the mountains and do some really epic adventures? Hmm. And the the latter sounded just more appealing to me. So that was why, yeah, started going down that avenue. And it was really also, as I think for a lot of people, the sense of, gosh, like reading these stories of people running these distances, you're like, can I even do that? I need to find out. Mm. It is that sense of the unknown, especially in that, I mean, it sounds like you became interested in that, almost that golden era of trail and ultra running. Hey, it was that first big surge of popularity yeah that was just i mean i don't know so i I say that but you know people who have been around for even longer probably thinking yeah like it was you know maybe i'll say the golden era and all that was was early i I would argue maybe we're still coming into to the golden era but it but it was certainly an interesting time that it was when we were just starting to see um it coming into sort of more popular media and then it was you know only a few years later that we sort of really saw the great instagramification of the sport <laughs> that's mm. right and, and and the you know the real uh and we're still seeing that and having that mm. push you know like um 
gosh, you know, now you're getting people like Zach Bitter, you know, 100-mile records and everything like that. That's all just kind of, I mean, it's falling like nine pins, isn't it? It's, yes. Uh, it's, but you're right, that first kind of the real, like you're right, the real pre-Instagramification of it. But that, you know, like you get those videos of like Anton Krubitschka and Killian Jornet power hiking up one of the Grand Tetons. I don't know if you've ever seen that video. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the Killian, the old school Killian Quest video. So those were, yeah, like that was part of, that was right when I was getting into it. And so that was, you'd always be waiting to see when it would drop. Yeah. Uh, you come from a, you know, uh, sort of on that like trail and ultra running sort of really having an impact on you. You know, you come from a science background. When did you think about getting into coaching? Uh, so I got my first coaching job right out of high school that I went, yeah, the follow. So yeah, when I was 17, I went back and was coaching my, at my older high school cross country and athletics as a assistant coach to, to Dave, who I mentioned before. So that was a really good opportunity, but, and actually it was really funny that I, that was if I had known what I do now was a possibility, I would have really gone at that. That was like what I am now is exactly what I wanted to be when I was coming out of school, but online coaching, something like that didn't exist. So I didn't, I didn't really know this was a possibility. So I started in a sports science degree coming out of school and I did that for about six months. Oh, yeah, for one semester. And I did well, but I just didn't know where I was going with it. So I ended up dropping out of uni for a while to try and figure out what do I want to do. And I ended up the following year coming back, doing a, a science and engineering degree. And I found I liked this. I was doing majoring in physics. So I found I liked the physics more than the engineering. So I stuck with that. And, and yeah, did, did all right at that. So I was doing a PhD in quantum physics at one point and, but I still sort of didn't really know what I wanted to, what I wanted to do with that. And it was uh, through chats with my coach and now business partner, Andy Dubois, that I was sort of like, well, how did you get to, cause I knew I enjoyed the coaching. I knew that I enjoyed that side of things and I was spending all my spare time reading up on all those sorts of things. And I sort of like, well, how did, you know, how did you make, how did he make that sort of business? And that, how did he make that a, a livelihood? And so through those sort of conversations, they would join up with uh, him at mile 27 and it, the rest is sort of history. Did you, so the, the, the scientific <laughs> approach that you, I mean, has that, has that carried on through your coaching? I mean, is it, is that, you know, you're obviously someone who, likes that that or has that has that mind has that thinking uh so does that does that flow through into your coaching that is a terrible question my apologies i think you know where i'm coming from i think i know where you're coming from yeah so obviously i mean i now i spend a lot of time reading scientific literature still that's how i start every morning is checking what's come out in the latest journals but it's all relating to sports science psychology all that sort of stuff these days instead of instead of physics so it definitely helps to be able to just first off how to actually read those papers properly and if they botch the statistics I can actually go run it myself and check it out properly and things like that and uh but also and obviously as a coach you're going you're doing a lot of data analysis uh, looking at um you know people because everyone uploads their files from their watches and that so you can get stuck into 
stuck into that and, you know, knowing how to actually write bits of code. And that certainly helps for analyzing that with an advent of new pieces of technology like power meters and stuff. It certainly helps being able to get into the nitty gritty of understanding what are these actually measuring? What are the limitations and that? I think some of the biggest things that you sort of really take away from that scientific background are the meta skills of logical reasoning, problem solving, and also just being able to appreciate things like uh, how everything all interacts together, that coming from a physics background where you have these incredibly precise and well-controlled experiments and just knowing how careful everyone is about overstating anything. And then you come into the messy world of sort of coaching and sports science and you see people really overstating some mm-hmm. uh, findings and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, like you really cannot conclude that from that data and things like that. And just being able to know when to zoom in and when to zoom out and really uh, make sure you don't lose the forest for the trees that, you know, we can get really caught up on nitty gritty fine details that ultimately might determine that 0.0001% of performance. Mm. Um, And then you need to take that step back and go, well, does it, does it matter? Like what's actually going to affect their performance on the day? Yeah. And I mean, that, that ability to be able to, um, because, you know, mentioning reading the layers science and stuff, there's, there is a lot of pseudoscience, crappy science. Well, it's not even science. It's being, um, uh, masquerading as science really that, you know, I'm thinking of the kind of, I'm loath to say (laughs) it, but sort of running runner's world sort of, um, you know, science, if you like. And so being able Mm. to have that ability to be able to, to drill down and go, no, no, actually, this is not something that we need to worry about. This is, or, or, or conversely, this is something we need to worry about is a, is a great skill to have, especially as a coach. Yeah, exactly. That a lot of, because obviously you get a lot of questions about the latest and greatest little things, but Mm. yeah, a lot of the time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it can almost be funny that, yeah, because you spend all this time reading all all the latest and greatest nitty-gritty bits, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to usually that if you got consistency, progressive overload, and hard work, then you, that's 90% of it. Yeah. It's so interesting where we go with, you know, we live in a like a post, almost post-truth in, in some in some ways in our society, like Eugene was talking about sort of pseudoscience or, or, or he's talking about running world. And I immediately went to like the people in New Zealand who are now setting fire to um, cell phone oh. towers. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing, right. With the internet these days that you have at your fingertips access to the, such a wealth of information. You can ask the world experts just about anything so readily and yet, or, <laughs> somehow, we often end up going in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, we're interesting critters. We're interesting critters, all right. I mean, mm. I'm still sort of hung up on the 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 PhD in quantum physics. I mean, did you? Is that something you're going to go back and have another hoon on, or are you are you done with it for now? Uh, I I certainly can't see myself going back to the particular projects and that I was uh, working on that looked like I left on, on good terms and all, all of that. It was more that it's like, Hey, and my supervisor was very understanding. It was like, Hey, I have this opportunity to do something I'm really passionate about. And 
sort of, yeah, go for it. Like there's no point, there's no point uh, finishing, finishing that off, PhD off just to have the title doctor for the sake of it. Like it, it's, as I said, I'd learned a lot already and look, I, I wouldn't rule out ever going back to academia, but I think I'd be doing something slightly different. Sure. And in terms of think, you know, and thinking about races and thinking about kind of where the world is and, you know, how everyone's had their plans scuppered. I mean, had you had any major goals this year? I mean, you did very, very well at Tarawera. Had you had anything else that you were building towards? Uh, yeah, well, Tarawera was actually very much a last minute decision. <laughs> it was because, and that was because I was going, so Ultra Trail Australia was going to be my real focus for the start of the year, at least. And as a stepping stone to that, I was going to be doing the six foot track marathon, but due to, and this was at the time, not the whole COVID situation. This was the bushfire situation that it was looking unlikely that uh, six foot was going to be able to go ahead. So I thought, Oh, I, I definitely want to do, you know, a fairly competitive race in that before I, before ultra trail Australia, because otherwise it will have been quite a while since my last race. So I, I fortunately, yeah, through Aussie Group was able to grab an entry in that fairly, yeah, last minute, sort of a few weeks before, and they made the final decision. And yeah, looking back now, I kind of wish I'd done the hundred k since everything else has been <laughs> scrapped. But yeah, because I was really tossing up which one to do. But I thought, oh no, I, I won't be greedy because if I do the hundred k, six foot will definitely go ahead, and that's probably a bit much for me if I do hundred k at Tarawera, six foot track marathon, and then UTA. So, but yeah. Oh, well, that's uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's oh, well, I mean, back when the world was simple and it was just on fire, you know, like you don't want to say, like, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Yeah. It's sort of, I mean, as that was the worst thing that was, you know, just that was the worst thing in the world that the fact that, you know, we, there was real sort of existential dread and now that's, oh God, I mean, do you have oh, any? Well, we get, I mean, when this COVID is all over, we can get back to worrying about climate change and ecological <laughs> destruction. That's all, that's all, that's not going away anywhere. It's too quickly. Saying that somebody was saying that um, uh, climate change needs to get COVID's PR team. Like just yeah, so, probably. So, suddenly you know, get everyone in the world going, no, no, look, we really need to deal with this now. Um, well, you yeah, know, because that was always the argument, right? There's like, oh, we just can't have a world scale, you know, that sort of this level of uh, unity and yeah. such yeah. a uniform sort of response, large scale response at once, just not possible. And yeah. it's sort of like, well, that argument well, is <laughs> Yeah, we can. Yeah. So how how was Tarawera? I mean, second, second in the 50K 346 odd how did it go uh i mean it was really i i really enjoyed it so i've been to rotorua a few times for the Carrow king of the mountain um Have you? sweet yeah oh i love oh, that that's race a great event yeah oh uh, we can we can gush about that after this after we gush about tarawira that um so yeah so i i, I love that area and i've been meaning just to, to do tarawira for a while and this year finally got over there for it and yeah like it was exactly what I wanted that I wanted a competitive race I wanted to really get pushed hard on something a bit flatter that as we sort of alluded to before you generally uh 
prefer sort of more mountainous events, but for something like UT, for UTA in particular, it's got a real mix of flatter sections and hillier sections. So I really wanted to work on the work on my weakness, sort of the flatter stuff. So it was uh, that that was part of the reason for going to that one. And so yeah, like it, the pace was on right from the start. It was uh, fantastic having such a quality field and someone like Michael there really driving the pace from the start to get to chase. And obviously, um, I will I say obviously, I, I think anyone who's been to the event will will agree that it's just such a beautiful area and such a great atmosphere to the race. Um, so so that's obviously in itself amazing. Um, just another reason to sort of do it. Oh, it's it's the most fantastic. I used to, I mean, Eugene and I both at, at various times have lived in Rotorua, and in fact, I lived sort of out, out on the road to Kaurau, um for a while. And it's just a, you know, you'd go for a run or a bike ride, and you just every corner that you came around was the the scenery was better than the corner that you'd been around before. You know, it's just mm. it is is a real special part of the world, and it's gonna, um, you know, it's gonna need a lot of you know, with 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 everything that's happening, it's it's certainly got some challenges facing it at the moment. But hopefully, you know, people will, people will come back. I think um, Tarawera next year, you know, in the manner it goes ahead, will be absolutely bonkers. Like it'll have a huge attendance because people will be so sort of starved from races that they're going to want to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I. It'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, no one really knows what's going to be happening with how races and that, how we get back into them, and what exactly it will look like. But I think everyone's very keen to to race again in something like Tarawira, where they really it's a race to the real sense of community was what I really felt, and like the, the way they really include the local culture and that it makes it really special. And that's certainly something which I think a lot of people are missing at the moment. Yeah, it's amazing the sense of community, especially if you haven't if you haven't had it a while. You know, we were talking just before we came on to, you know, before we started recording, and you, you know, we talked about the fact that you, for the first time in several weeks, had been out to meet with friends, or you know, I shaken someone's hand, and we had the chance this weekend. Um, Eugene and another friend of mine, ours, we got out on the trails for a good couple of hours, mm. and I mean. I, right through lockdown I've been able to run on these trails because they're in my back garden basically um but I couldn't tell you how much sort of exponentially better it was having sort of my friends there or the sense of community or togetherness it was just amazing yeah I mean it's one of the sort of real core basic psychological needs we all have and that really motivates people that you know is that sense of relatedness that we are social animals and even the most introverted of people still need that uh connection with others well it's it's, i mean it's 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 hardwired into us hey i mean imagine if we were i don't know trying to think a turtles are they or or, you know (laughs) something with more of a hindbrain you know a marathon of tortoises wouldn't have quite the same appeal i mean aesthetically it'd be brilliant but the the sense of camaraderie and connection that they would i mean it'd be missing wouldn't it Mm. (laughs) so what's next for you have you got anything lined up uh well we sort of don't really know obviously i mean UTA now has been pushed back to uh, October, so that is at the moment my what I'm focusing on. 
I sort of feel for this whole year at the moment, it's, you know, okay, lay plans and make sure that, and, and you know, they're there to motivate you, but you also can't get too emotionally attached because who, who knows what's going to happen really. Um, so, so that's certainly something that I'm looking towards. Poss, see the Australian mountain running champs, uh, they haven't been cancelled yet, but uh, they're scheduled for mid-July, so I can see them probably getting pushed back. But at the moment, that's my next race. But as I say, I sort of, you know, we just need to keep a really adaptable mindset at the moment. And if the, if there are no races for longer than that, I might think up some little personal challenges or projects to do instead. I was going to ask you around your training and in, in terms of that sort of I, – I guess that's it. How you you plan for the best, hope for the, or plan for the worst, hope for the best. And have you found? Did you find your your motivation has it taken a hit, or is it has your motivation changed? So I've actually the last sort of few weeks not been running much because I've been taking advantage of this time to get on top of some various niggles and that, but ones that I probably would have kept running through if UTA had still been on and gotten right after that, but sort of, okay, well, it's six months away now, so now's the time. Never been a better time to, you know, take a bit of time off and uh, get get the body right. So, but it definitely was, I mean, I did try and keep running sort of through the start of all, all of this, and it was interesting that that first week I just sort of felt like, oh, nothing's changed. I've now just got longer to build up for, um for the upcoming races and then it was probably week two was where it was like oh this is this is quite a while away and there is a lot of uncertainty isn't there and uh motivation did start to take a bit of a hit so that, that was when I sort of started coming up with in in my own head a few little local projects and that that wouldn't rely on any events so I could still have something to aim for but ultimately also that was also the time that I made the decision that uh you know, these, these few little needles I've got at the moment, it's better, better to take the time off now and get them right. Because even when you don't know when the next time to race is, there's no point pushing through it for several months. Mm, that's right. And did you, did you find with your coaching clients, was there a similar story for them? I'm, I'm sure it wasn't like a universal, but did different people, were some more motivated, some less, or was it more of a consistent thing? Uh, there was definitely a variety of uh, responses. Some people are very happy with the, the the kind of athlete who typically only does one or two big events in a year, and that's it as far as they're concerned for races. For them, you know, as far as ra- obviously there's you know training and races is one side of thing. This whole situation has affected people's lives in a whole various complicated ways putting that aside and just focusing on the training racing kind of side of things, people who yeah only do a couple of events in a year. Okay. We're spending several months training for the next event. That's really normal for an ultra. Cool. Deal. Move on. Others uh, who like to race a lot more regularly in that. And it is a bit more of a, Oh, what am I going to aim for now? And then it really is okay. Coming up with things like those various yeah little personal projects that got some people, doing little that, you know, it can just be the favorite loop. It can be time trial up and down a mountain. It can be a self-supported ultra, Everesting, all sorts of things, all sorts of different challenges, various, uh, yeah, athletes I coach have decided to take on. But also it's been a good opportunity for most people to really step back and reassess why 
why do I run? Why do I enjoy this? That what is the intrinsic motivation that it, it, it can sort of suddenly now that, you know, the shiny medals and that have sort of been taken away for a little bit, it can really make you realize how much of that was your motivation for, for running. And in most cases, people were, most of the athletes I coached with were fine. In others, it was a real, oh, okay, we need to have a think about, you know, why, why do you do this? Why do you enjoy it? And I think in that sense, it's probably been quite good for them in the long run. Yeah, it's been, a, a like you say, a good chance for people to reflect. I, I saw something that uh, Mal Aiken, New Zealand runner and um, champion New Zealand runner, was saying today that she, um, because she's been, uh, she's a police superintendent, so she's had an extremely busy time the last few weeks uh, and a lot of time to think and so on. And, and while she, she's someone who's known as, um, known as someone who races all the time and suddenly there's no races, that she's had a chance to, rediscover her love of the, the sort of purity of running again um she realizes it's not just the races that she enjoys it's actually more than that so i mm. guess yeah it's everyone's getting out of it what they what they can can't they but yeah look i've done some i've done some uh, on the hop uh investigative journalism here um to discover that you were a two-time winner of the kawaro king of the mountain in fact from is that right or is there more yeah Totally. Yeah. And in fact, for this, after you won the first That's a good year, investigative journalism right there. That's right. Exactly. Don't tell me, don't tell me a Google journalist for nothing. Um, <laughs> second, after you'd won the first year, the, uh, the local papers said, hopefully we can see in New Zealand to steal back the crown after an Aussie shattered Kiwi dreams in the Dubin, Diamond Jubilee humdinger last year. So there you go. You must really love that race. Oh yeah, it is. So I've run all around the world and I still think of that race as probably, well, I'll, I'll say so. It's got a sister race in Australia, the Pomona King of the Mountain. Oh, it's okay. Up on the Sunshine yeah. Coast, yeah, 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 on the and that's how coast, yeah. that's how I um got involved with Carroll because they uh send the winners from each race over to do the other right. one. And that was how I first got into that. And so those two are probably still two of my favourite events. Two are just the funnest events in the world that I've ever done because the Carroll Mountain. I don't know if you've ever gone up and down it. That it's so it's incredibly steep, yeah. Uh, but it's this really, and you're you're right in the trees a lot of the time. So this narrow single track, and it's this thick volcanic dirt. And so on the way up, it's really tough going because if you step in the wrong place, you're just sliding back down. But on the way down, ah, oh, just so much fun. It's almost like skiing. That because seriously, the closest thing I've ever experienced to running on that terrain is running in snow, where you can just kind of jump and skid and slide and when you go around a sharp corner you will just whoosh a big sort of powder comes up you're swinging off trees you're jumping off ledges and it's usually you know the top sort of 10 they're staying upright the whole time but a lot of our, the sort of the rest of the field are sliding down on their bums for good portions of it because it's nice soft dirt and all that and it's yeah just so much fun and a fantastic community atmosphere as well um as the Aussies, whenever we come over, they're just so welcoming and the whole event just has such a great vibe to it. Matt, that just sounds like your perfect race. I could picture you doing that. I would be the one on my bum going down. But, um, yeah, Matt, you'd, you'd love that race by the sounds of it. But, look, we've held you up enough time, So we ha- but we, there is the one more question that we have to ask you and because you listen to the show, you know it's coming. So I hope you've had a chance to think about it. But, mm. Ben, what is your greatest run ever? And you know exactly so, what we mean by that. Yeah, I do. And so... 
part of, so I've always felt bad because every time you you mention it in the little prologue, I'm always like, oh, I should write in, I should write in. But I haven't been there. It's been hard. You're one of them. Yeah, I'm you one say of them. You do and you I'm, don't. I'm one of those awful people. And it's because, it's because uh, you asked for your greatest run ever. And I, I've got two which are hard to pick from, but I think this has forced me to finally pick one. And so, so the reason it's hard to choose is that I really, when I hear the greatest run ever, to me, I think of that real sort of flow state where it just absolutely just comes effortless, effortlessly. You're performing way better than you would ever sort of expect. And yet it just feels amazing. And there are only sort of two times in my life I've ever experienced that. So I think I'll have to go with the first one because it was a really uh, influential experience. So this was early on in my running day. So this was when, gosh, I'd only been running every day for maybe a, a bit over a year at that point. And it was the, so it was the under 16 state cross country championships and I hadn't even qualified for states the year before. Um, so I was stoked just to be there. I was hoping maybe I could make top 10. But, and so, you know, you're all nervous and uh, gun goes off. You're, you're in your uh, pack all jostling around and I'm sort of pushed out to the side. And so you've got all the tight corners and then you're almost getting uh, pushed out off the course so you say oh, I'm just going to sort of move up a little bit to get in a better position and next thing I know I'm I'm in the lead and I was like wow like hmm. I never expected to be in this position and yet I feel just so good this is feeling easy and just did not look back and you know it's just a little park or in, in the middle of Brisbane nothing special uh, in terms of scenery and that but just felt amazing the whole way and pulled away I think it was about 45 seconds lead by the end of the 6k race and just that moment that that race really had such a strong influence because it's like wow I really want to replicate this sensation again I and that was really the day that I think I committed that running is going to be a really big part of my life like this is something I really want to be heavily involved in uh so yeah, I think that was that still stands out in my mind as uh, probably my greatest run ever. And as I said, I think I've only really experienced that one other time. But yeah, you keep looking for that feeling. Those elusive so, moments, yeah. Sentinel mm. event. We we normally have three different types. So we have people who, and 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 what you've described is is by far my favourite when people really sort of get quite granular with it. You know, you get people who will say they'll give you a, like a statement. They'll say. Tarawera 2019 and just full stop. And then you get some people who I remember, how was it? Um, oh, his name eludes me. I, uh, Zach Miller, you know, he was mm. like 10 or 50, <laughs> you know, like that, that famous video of him running. He was like, yeah, that one, that, that, that's my greatest run ever. But what an amazing, um, what an amazing, you know, description of that, that sense of that, that flow state. Just, yeah. just amazing. Hey, and look, man, thank Sorry, I was going to say we 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 all we all know that moment that you're talking about. Even those of us who experience it for much small amounts of time, and 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 not at the front of races, but it's it's something that all runners know. So yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, like it's well, it's kind of also now that I look back that it's it, it it almost lulls you into a false sense of security when you you get to experience it for a race. As I said, I've only in what like 14 years of running had. Yeah, two races feel like that. 
Mm. And sometimes afterwards, you then go into your next race almost expecting that, and then yeah. the, the hurt comes as a shock, which yeah. can kind of almost be a negative, and the next race can go much worse because of it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's an amazing feeling, yeah. and I, I hope I get to have a third experience sometime in my life. Keep chasing it. Keep chasing oh, it. Amazing. Great conversation. Thank you so Absolutely. much for joining us. Really appreciate it, and, um, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful chat. Thank you. Thank you. That was a fantastic. That was a great session. That was a great I, chat. I was I, what an engaging guy. Yeah, like, and interesting and funny and yeah, it was great. Just it was really good. And I'm, cool. I'm, you know, I was proud of my uh, Google researching on the fly. Got some more as well. It's Robert. Yeah, Korzanowski, and he won. Ah. He won fifty kilometers at Atlanta, Sydney, and Athens. And the, the race walker yeah, and the twenty kilometers at Sydney as well. So there you go. Huh. There you go. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I reckon you. I reckon this journalism thing could. Um, do you think I should give really it a crack out for you? If, well, if you try, yeah. you know, if you get well, some effort. I mean, into all you have to do is Google stuff or look it up on Facebook. Have yeah. hey, told you about five G? Anyway, you could be a doctor. Mm. Um, hey, uh, <laughs> googling skills like that. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ben. We really, really enjoyed chatting to you. It was good fun, and we learned a lot. So appreciate that. And, I know that everyone else listening will have too. You can find us social media at Dirt Church Radio. Email dirtchurchradio at gmail.com and we promise to get better at reading our emails. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher and other podcast platforms including Spotify and you can download direct from the website as well, dirtchurchradio.com. And if we're not where you want us, let us know. Don't forget to subscribe and rate. Uh, if you like what you see, you know, share the love. It'd be great as if many people heard the show as possible. And for that, we need your help. Don't be like Ben Duffus and yeah. say you're going to do a greatest run ever and don't. Yeah, Ben. And then come on the show and have to pick between two and it's awkward and, and kind of pressured. Don't be like Ben. Just write in with your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you. And 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 use Ben's greatest run ever as an example because it was amazing. It was. Um, Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, Cielli, Spring Energy. Thank you to our Patreon supporters, Wild Things and Vert Run. And thanks to our editor, Kieran. And we've got a really great guest lined up for you next week. So tune in then. Ka kite. Ka kite. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>